If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352 Today I'd like to introduce you to Tanya Mitten. Tanya's an equestrian mindset coach. She's also a rider position coach and she specialises in the use of NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, to assist her students. How are you, Tanya? I'm very well. Thank you, Glenis. <laughs> Lovely good. to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. Now, Tanya, we normally start off with a favourite quote. Have you got one for us? I do. I actually sort of have got two quotes there. Well, <laughs> one that I love. Yep. Yep. <laughs> one that I love is, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're always right by that's Henry Ford. A, yeah, I was going to say that's a Henry um, Ford one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about that quote and when you first heard it and when you've used it. Sure. Look, from a mindset perspective, which I'm obviously sort of very passionate about, to me that sort of sums it up. You know, we have beliefs and our beliefs are either serving us or they're letting us down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often talk to my students about limiting beliefs and empowering beliefs. And that quote just really shows that, that if we have a limiting belief and we're doubting ourselves, we think we can't do something. Our behavior then starts to, in sort of, the behavior is geared to creating situations that are more sabotaging mm-hmm. rather than successful behaviours. Yes. And the outcomes then generally sort of speak for themselves. Yep, yep. All right, and I'll bet you build a bit of confidence with that as well, you know, when, when you talk to your students like that. I'm sure you do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, confidence is one of those things. We, and I think it's a term that is thrown around so much and sometimes I think in a way we're taking it a bit too lightly. Mm-hmm. Really, in my own experience, I think confidence is the end result of a whole heap of personal development and personal growth. Mm-hmm. So the, the confidence is often something that comes a little bit later rather than looking at confidence as you know, the first thing that we want to establish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, no, that makes sense the way that you're um, explaining it. I think, you know, everyone's going to have a little bit of a different take, but that certainly makes sense. Mm. What's your other quote that you've got? The other quote is one by Marion Williams, and it's probably more famous because Nelson Mandela has used it, and mm-hmm. it's called Our Deepest Fear. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly long one. I'll just give you the first sort of couple of sentences there. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Mm -hmm. It's not our light, but it's our darkness that most frightens us. And we ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably sort of the first half of the quote. And again, you know, it deals with often our, you know, uh, need to feel inadequate, our focus on our limitations. And, you know, from my experience as a coach, it's often something that a lot of people really struggle with seeing themselves with all their talents. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier and it's so much more acceptable, I think, in our society now to put ourselves down and kind of, you know, tell everyone that we are just a bit average. You know, it's acceptable. We are liked for it, but it doesn't really serve us. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what the quote sort of is, is really addressing. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because if someone's up there boasting about how great they are and then they have a bit of a fall, everyone's very quick to discredit them rather than than Mm. saying, oh, well, you got up again and you're on your path again, so good on you. Yeah. And look, often if someone is sort of boosting themselves up and, Mm. and, you know, being a bit over the top, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are feeling that or that they are indeed confident. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's more so something that, you know, those people are maybe trying to convince other people that they're doing a really good job. Trying to convince themselves, themselves. yeah. Mm, Mm, Absolutely. mm, mm. Tanya, tell us about when you first started with horses and what your first memories were. Yeah, look, I grew up in Germany. Mm -hmm. I started riding when I was 10, 10 or 11, and I started riding in a riding school. It probably took me about a good two, three years to convince my parents to really let me have riding lessons because I'm from a non-horsey family. So I think my parents are still waiting for me to grow up and get a real <laughs> job one day and, you know, drop the habit. Yep. My earliest memory was going to that riding school as a little kid with one of my best friends started riding before me mm-hmm. and just being around horses, being able to walk through the stable, you know, being able to sort of pat the horses. That mm-hmm. was just, you know, to me, that, that was sort of a dream come true. Yeah, when I was able to sort of or allowed to yep. have riding lessons myself, it was such a big deal. And I remember as a kid, the first couple of riding lessons, I was so scared <laughs> and you know, my imagination of mm. what it would be like to get on a horse and to ride and the actual reality of sitting on a horse. <laughs> In Germany, you start off on the lunge, mm. you start off without reins and without stirrups. It was pretty scary. <laughs> and all I sort of remember was sort of sitting there and really not enjoying it at all. And just I kept thinking, I can't tell my mom. Because if I tell her that I don't like it, you know, she'll be so happy and she'll never let me ride again. So mm. I've just got to stick it out because surely it's got to get better at some point. And clearly it did because yeah. I feel, you know, I'm, I'm still at it. <laughs> now, that, do you think that experience has helped you? You know, that experience of you being so scared, you yeah. can see that in your students if you're asking them and you can, you know, you can understand and have a bit of empathy for them. Absolutely. Mm. And Look, I haven't spoken to a rider yet who tells me that they've never had a moment where, you know, they were a little bit scared. Mm, mm, And mm. again, this is where confidence is sort of a word that sometimes people sort of say to me, 
look, all I want to get to or all I want to do is feel really confident and then I'm going to be fine. And when I ask them what they think of confidence, they think that they're never worried about anything, you know, that everything is going to be easy and they, you know, they can do anything. Mm. And I say Mm. to them, well, Mm. that's not the case. And that's not something to thrive towards Mm. because I think having a little bit of uh, fear is the wrong word. I certainly wasn't fearful and we shouldn't be fearful on a horse, but just maybe a little bit of doubt or a little bit of anxiousness. It, it helps us to learn more. It helps us to explore more mm-hmm. and it keeps us grounded in a way. It, mm. it helps us to connect to horses better. Yes, yes. So I certainly can relate to it. Yeah. And I also can relate to it what it feels like when you get out of phase and, you know, you feel a bit indestructible, which is often as we become teenagers, which is mm. not such a good thing either. So finding the happy medium between yes. the two, that's a really good place to be. Yeah, yeah. Now, what made you have a career? Because, you know, you started off riding and then progressed. So just tell us a little bit about the progression from riding in the riding school in Germany to um, becoming a professional? Yeah, look, when I was 18, I started probably a little bit earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Like most teenagers, you know, I had this dream that I wanted to go to the Olympics. You know, I, sure. I wanted to ride professionally. My discipline back then was show jumping, loved show jumping. I did get my own horse when I was about 15 and started competing it. Mm-hmm. And I remember... After I finished school, I did an apprenticeship in a saddlery shop in Germany. And the girl that I was working with, I heard her have a conversation with one of our customers at some point where she was talking about a young rider who went to Hans Günther Winkler. He's one of the greats in Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, he's an older rider who's been at Olympic level and he's a bit of a legend. And I heard her talk about that young rider who went to Bigler and basically got an apprenticeship. He, you know, he got to ride and learn there. Yes. And when I heard that, that kind of sort of sparked a bit of a flame. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it took me probably a year to get used to that idea to make some contact. And from that stage on, I was kind of hooked on the idea to find myself a job in a show jumping yard mm-hmm. and to really learn to ride. Yes. And that's what I did. Okay. So Good. when Good. I was 18, I got my first job and ended up at Schockemüller's two years later, which is a pretty big stable over in Germany. Pretty good place for you to go, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a bit of a factory, but it was amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Certainly you open your eyes to the possibilities, you know, and sometimes you just oh, need that, don't you, to just get your eyes open to what is possible. Yes, mm, absolutely. Mm, it's, it was an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I certainly sort of learned to ride then. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, for people who are just starting in the horse industry or would like to work in the horse industry to become professionals, what do you think the core skills or character traits are? Just to commence, you know, not not already be an established rider, but to commence working in the horse industry. I think you have to have that love. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the bug because like in any industry, there's so many ups and downs and it's a pretty tough job. But it's also a great job. 
Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was kind of my addiction that got me through and got me through the hard times. That you know, I never stopped loving horses. I never stopped loving riding. And the other component is that belief. There has to be a degree of belief that you can make it. And that doesn't mean that you make it to the Olympics or to a certain international level. It's just the belief that you can achieve what you want to achieve. Mm. I think that's absolutely crucial. I guess another part of it, again, this is coming more maybe from a mindset perspective, one of the things that I hear so commonly is this belief that has sort of snuck its way into our industry that if you work with horses, you're always going to be broke. You know, you mm. can't make a good living out of being with horses. And that belief is just wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if, if that's certainly one of my purpose to change that belief in the industry because yeah. I know that you can make good money. Yes. There is enough people out there who've made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of our younger riders are maybe held back of going into the industry because of this limiting belief that they feel they have to find a job, even if they don't love it, to make the money to afford horses. And I think that's really sad. Yep. So I'd like to change that belief. I think, you know, it started because maybe 50 years ago, maybe even 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't the work to support to support yourself in the industry. And and I think maybe the people who look back then, yeah, don't realise because the industry's really grown, really, really grown. And there's lots and lots of specialists within the industry. It's a huge industry. You know, it's certainly one of the biggest in Australia and I'm sure it is in a lot of other countries as well. You know, it sort of flips sometimes between second and third biggest. You know, it's a huge, huge industry. And a lot of, as you say, a lot of people are professionals and they can use some skills that they may already have to complement with their horse skills, you know, and have that bit of a mixture. Absolutely. And see, one of the things is that, I mean, I'm a great believer that if you find something that you love, it's, you know, you don't mind going that extra mile. You don't mind working the extra hours. Mm -hmm. And you're also more creative. You know, it's your life. It's your passion. Mm. So you think about it. You look for different ways, for better ways. And automatically, if you do something that you love, you put a different energy into that than if you just do a job that at the end of the day is just a nine-to-five job. Mm. Mm. So to me, if you invest that extra energy and that extra passion into something, you're automatically going to be good at it. Yes, And with anything that you're good at, you can make money out of it and because there is an equal exchange. Mm. And that's where we maybe have to sort of let go of this limiting belief and, you know, that nearly dirty word of money, but just looking at it, hey, I have a passion. I'm good at what I do. And in order to help other people, there's an equal exchange there that just happens to be money because, you know, that is the currency that we're using in the time that we live in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it maybe is just a slightly different way of thinking about it, but it's certainly a sustainable industry and I would love more people 
to go into it if they have the passion for it, not being maybe put off by this limiting belief that is floating around out there. Yes, yes. And you're right, a very limiting belief. A lot of people, I think, make choices because they're not really believing that they can make a career with horses. Yeah, mm. and this goes mm. back, you know, to this quote that I mentioned there before, our deepest fear. Yes. We have to start believing in our own capabilities and our own talents. And so many people are very uncomfortable with looking at themselves in that way. And I think if we can overcome that, if we can just see ourselves in the same light as we see our best friends, you know, that's one concept I talk a lot about in seminars mm-hmm. because most people find it so easy to see all the talent and all the great things in their friends mm. and they find it so easy to encourage them. Yep. Yet when they look at themselves, they flip to the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's putting our best friend hat on and seeing ourselves through the same glasses that we view the other people around us. Mm. And then it makes it a little bit easier to acknowledge our own talents and not feeling threatened by them. Yep, yep. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? Oh, look, no doubt it's working with the horses. (laughs) To me, there's something really special Mm -hmm. about horses, and I think we all kind of know it. Again, from my viewpoint, horses reflect us so well. And horses pick up on how we feel and reflect on how we feel. Mm -hmm. And so I find we can learn so much from our horses, you know, without sort of going out there too far. Mm. Horses are so happy to be with us, but they're also quite happy to sort of be by themselves. And certainly one of the things that I find that if I'm in a cranky mood, if I'm stressed, if I've got my head in, you know, in something else, and I walk out in the paddock, my horses tend to look at me and sort of walk the other way. <laughs> and, yep. you know, yep. to me, that's got nothing to do with good training or bad training. They see me a mile away and they mm. just choose to walk somewhere else. Yep. And I do believe that they feel the energy that we give out. Mm-hmm. And they just choose not to be part of the energy if it's a stressful and a, a negative one. Yep. I know that if I get on a horse and I can park all of my, uh, everything that's in my head, I can park that on the gate and Mm. I can leave that outside of the arena and I can just get on the horse, get myself centered and be in the moment without being distracted by the stuff that I've got to do or thinking about something that really annoyed me earlier Mm. on or whatever that might be. Mm. I know that my horses go 10 times better because I'm a better person at that moment. Yes, yes, it is a real reflection on that. Mm. Tanya, when you, um, you know, you work for the Shockermores, but who else? Is there anyone else that you'd like to say that's influenced you in your career and in some of the decisions that you've made? Yeah, look, the first job that I had was with a Dutch show jumping rider in Germany, Bert Heimann, and Mm -hmm. he had a huge influence on me. Okay. He basically opened my eyes to what show jumping was and taught me a lot. But Thomas Fuhrmann, which is an Austrian rider that was based at Albin Schmöhle when I was there, I worked with him for quite a while. And the same, you know, he's, I mean, he's in my eyes one of the most talented show jumping riders 
There is. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that much work, but my <laughs> God, he just had a talent. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So you know that was very inspirational, and it was also very frustrating because I would ride the same horses that he did, and I could not get the same tune <laughs> out of them that he could. Yeah. Another person was Rick Schnabel, and that was here in Australia. He was the one that I learned NLP from. Mm-hmm. Rick is a pretty amazing guy. He was based down in Melbourne. And when he sort of introduced me to the neuro-linguistic programming, that just really opened my eyes from a mindset perspective. So, mm-hmm. yeah, those those three people are probably some of the main ones that have influenced me, apart okay. from or outside of my family. Sure, sure. What about horses? Has there been a particular horse that's influenced your career? Yeah, look, I was thinking about that. I've had... <laughs> My well, my it wasn't my first horse. It was my second horse. My first horse, who was a darling, who was an old school horse from the riding school that I learned at. I bought him afterwards, and he was the the schoolmaster in the truest sense. Mm-hmm. The most influential horse was my second horse, Frankie. He was a four year old Holsteiner Warmblood that my parents bought for me, and we had no idea. So I came from. You know, 18-year-old, ex-riding school, dead quiet schoolmaster to a four-year-old, very talented, very athletic, woman <laughs> who taught me a lot. Okay. <laughs> One of them was how to roll when I hit the ground. <laughs> but I think he certainly sort of shaped my ride. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have him until he passed away. At, I think he was 25. We had a fantastic career and a fantastic journey together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think your proudest moments been? Look, my proudest moments with horses, I would say, are in the arena when I'm coaching. And, and those proudest moments are when riders have what I would call an aha moment. Mm-hmm. You know, if that is learning how to breathe, and how to relax their body and then feeling the horse breathing out underneath them and starting to feel that connection and then starting to rebuild their trust. Yep. Or if that is a very experienced, sometimes even elite rider, feeling the enormous difference in the horse that comes from a very subtle shift in their position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those sort of those moments are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can't call that work then, can you? You know, if you're out there enjoying it and going, wow, this is just magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even if you weren't getting paid much, it would still be good. But the fact that you know, um, just as well as I do, that you can make money in the horse industry and you don't have to be broke. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's magic. Yeah. Absolutely. What about challenges? Yeah, what about, you know, your biggest challenge along the way? What's What do you think that's been? or? Look, challenges for me certainly was struggling with a limiting belief for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And my big limiting belief was I'm not good enough. And that was a big one. That sort of came before I became a mindset coach. And I think, you know, I became a mindset coach because of the journey that I went through. And it certainly was a journey that took me a very long time doing a lot of personal development with fantastic people. And Mm. I remember, you know, when I started to become really comfortable 
that I was good enough. Yes. That I could do the things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the biggest challenge was the journey. And it was the most amazing experience sort of coming out the other end, becoming really comfortable in looking at myself in the mirror or patting myself on the back and saying, you know what, I've done a really good job and I yes. can do this. I yep. am good enough. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's good. That's a good thing. And, and was it so you were introduced to NLP to help you get through this limiting belief or you already had got through, you know, how did that work? Yeah, no, the NLP came later. Mm-hmm. I've sort of worked through my limiting beliefs over a period of probably 10 years yep. from when I became really aware, like the, the limiting belief was there for a lot longer before that. But I would say when I became really aware of the limitations that that belief gave me, and that was, you know, quite an amazing sort of discovery because it was in a personal development workshop that I did with my husband. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we took part in that. And the exercise was that we had to write our obituary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, sitting down and writing our obituary as if it would have read out if we would have died on that day mm-hmm. was a hugely emotional experience. And, you know, we spent hours writing that. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we had to get up and we had to read it out. And, you know, they prepared a room with the setting that was very confrontational. And when I read it out, I just cried. You know, I cried my eyes out and Mm. I I so identified with that. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the tears were kind of for when I realized of the, you know, the limitations that I had set myself. And when I started to sort of, yeah, just recognize that it was sort of, it opened my eyes. Mm. I was mourning myself. (laughs) I was mourning my life. Yep. And then, you know, then we got the second opportunity to write another obituary. And I did that. And it was while I did that, I made sort of that commitment. Mm. And that was Mm. the beginning of my journey. NLP was introduced to me after I had sort of gone through most of that journey. And I started to realize the positive effects that, you know, that I could feel on myself. And so NLP gave the tool to start helping other people and coaching other people on a similar journey. Mm. But the actual um, exercise to do your obituary, that was within an NLP workshop, wasn't it? NLP was part of the workshop. Okay. Yes. Okay. I was going to say because that was, that's an NLP exercise. Not well, you, you know, I mean, when I was doing some training, it was like you do it now, but then you come back and over the next five years, you know, what goals are you going to set to change it? You know, and even even over that short period of time, you can change it quite a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, you know, when I started then um, become an NLP master practitioner mm. and I did the courses, I really recognized sort of where people get stuck. Yes. And having then the yep. tools taught to us, you know, mm. how we mm. can help, you know, yep. what we can say the importance of language and mm-hmm. and the listening to what people are actually saying, you know, listening to the words rather yes. than just to the sentences yes. or chapters. Yes. That made such a big difference to me. Mm-hmm. Good. And good that you can use it with your coaching, you know, to, to complement. So you use one to complement the other. Yeah, yeah, because that was something when I finished the NLP coaches program, 
I had sort of a moment, if you like, where I sort of thought, gosh, you know, maybe this is a time when I have to grow up now. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm saying growing up because my parents kept telling me (laughs) for a long time, you know, like, you know, fighting is good, but, you know, you've got to grow up and get a real job one day. And, you know, this is only a hobby. So so after I finished the NLP, I thought, well, maybe this is a time I have to grow up now. Mm. And I started doing coaching outside of writing and working with the general public. Mm-hmm. And it just it just wasn't the same. No. So it, that's when I then started to think, how can I combine this mm. with writing? How can I, you know, bring this into the equestrian world? You know, I've got the experience as a writer. I was a coach already. I was a competitor for many, many years. How can I bring this in now? Because I can relate to a lot of writers and a mm. lot of their problems and their mm-hmm. stories. So, yeah. And very good if they think that they've got a limiting belief because you'd probably go, yep, right, I'll just step straight into this because this is my specialty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So when you get a new group of riders or a new rider, what's a common thing that you fix? You know, let's talk first of all. Well, I'm going to ask you two questions. What's a common mindset thing or fault that you see, right, well, it's common, you know, something that it's for our listeners, you know, they might have that particular mindset that you can talk about and also talk about how to fix it. Yeah. Look, I think a very common mindset issue is a fear of failure. Mm -hmm. And that fear of failure that can sort of play out in a competition environment where the pressure is there to do a good job. Yep. So there is the, the fear of failure, not wanting to let the horse down. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. You know, not wanting to let their coach down or being aware that friends are watching from the sideline and yep. people putting a lot of pressure on themselves. They don't want to let their friends down by making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so fear of failure is a really big one. <laughs> You know, the the other one is probably the doubt in themselves if they are really good enough or if they know enough. And I think the people in the horse industry are very passionate people. Mm-hmm. And we are all in it because we love the horses. We want to be involved. And it's one of those industries, there is so much to learn and so much to know. And often people find that really overwhelming and if they have doubt in themselves they can often put themselves into a scenario where they just feel overwhelmed because they get so much advice and so many people who mean well giving them advice and telling them what to do can often become very overwhelming mm-hmm. so a lot of people struggle with that. So what would you say to those riders that have got the fear of failure and am I good enough, do I know enough? What would you say to them? What would be your advice? Look, from a fear of failure, what I say to people or what I work on with people is I start to trace that feeling back or this fear back to where it started Mm -hmm. because there's always a starting point and often the starting point is totally unrelated from horses or from riding. It often starts when we are kids, when we are younger, and it often starts by what someone else has said. Mm-hmm. You know, so so what what happens when we have, say, a fear, we get stuck in the emotion 
of the fear and the memory that comes with that emotion. Mm -hmm. If that memory, if the experience happened when we were younger, which often is where it comes from, we experience that memory still in the age that we were when the experience happened. So we basically view the whole experience still through the eyes of a child, which mm-hmm. keeps us stuck. It's very hard to get out of that because we put the same reasoning as a child to the situation. So to me, from a coach's perspective, is I bring those people back to find out when did it start. Then we can separate the experience from the person. And we can then allow the person to view the experience more externally from an adult's perspective, which means that they have a different viewpoint. So they can often make sense and put different reasoning to the experience by saying, you know, the person that said that to me didn't actually mean it. Or, you know, what has happened back there? I know that, you know, if it was my mom or my dad that said something to me, I know that in that time, they really struggled with other things. Mm. So what they said wasn't actually really directed to me. It was just a reflection of where they were at in that time. Mm -hmm. So if we can find the reason why we can separate the emotions from the experience and we can leave the experience behind. Then we start to rebuild the, you know, changing the fear to a more empowering emotion that says, you know what, I can do that. Let's have a look. How far have I already come? You know, how much have I already improved? You know, listening to my coach or my friends, you know, are they actually thinking that I'm failing or do they all congratulate me and and tell me that I'm doing a great job? It's breaking those things down. Yep. And that looking back to see how far I've come, I think that's a powerful exercise. You know, like once upon a time, you couldn't rise to the trot and, you know, now look at you. Yeah. 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 And again, you know, it's something that most people find really easy mm. to do with their friends. They mm. find really easy to remind their friends of how far mm-hmm. they've come. Yes. But they often can't see it in themselves. Yep. Yep. All right. Now, what about you as a rider position coach? What's a common fault, common problem that you see with riders position? And um, I'll ask you about how to fix it as well. In terms of rider position, probably, you know, one key element is the rider's hips and the flexibility and the range of movement within the hips. That's an absolute crucial one. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is that you know, as we get older, we get stiffer unless we do regular stretching, regular exercise to keep ourselves flexible. So what I find is that a lot of people, particular, you know, if they're sitting on a desk for, you know, long periods, yep. doing office work, sitting in the car, often what happens is that they start to become quite tight through the pelvis area and through the hips. And then automatically when they get on the horse, they start to tip forward more onto their pubic bone 
and closing and slightly gripping through the thigh. Because if that flexibility isn't there, it makes it really difficult to open the thigh. Mm -hmm. Now, that's really, really crucial to allow the horse's ribcage to move freely. Because if we put pressure on it, we automatically start to restrict the ribcage. So we start to get tension and we get resistance from the horse. And basically then the horse needs to compensate for that restriction through the feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. What would you say to a rider, though, that had that problem? What would you say as far as exercises or as far as how to fix it? There's a couple of different things. So first of all, I find by making the rider aware of where they are tight, and often it's one hip is more tight or one groin area, one thigh doesn't have as much rotational ability than the other. So for the rider to understand that and to realize that, that's important. Um, I do some basic exercises with them off the, uh, sorry, on the horse, sometimes mm-hmm. also off the horse. But if it's a bigger problem or if people are really tight, I send them off to either a physio or doing Pilates just to make them aware that they have to do a lot more exercises off the horse Mm -hmm. in order to improve the flexibility on the horse. Yes, so using the exercises or Pilates then to complement what they're doing on the horse. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, a good exercise that everyone can do on the horse is starting out in a halt. Mm -hmm. If they stand up in the stirrup, um, while they're standing in the stirrup, very lightly rotating their pelvis So rotating in terms of lifting the pubic bone slightly up to bring the pelvis underneath them and then sitting down, which brings them into a more center position in the saddle. It also relaxes their lower back with the pelvis being rotated underneath them. So it's lifting the pubic bone up, sitting down in the saddle and then lifting both sides slightly off the saddle to then let the leg hang again. Mm -hmm. So that works on the rotational ability of the pelvis, but also a groin stretch and an an opening of the pelvis. Okay. That's a really good exercise. And and I think that's one exercise that people might want to, you know, because there was a lot of detail that you put in there, but it's one that people might need to Mm. just sort of play back and re-listen a little bit to make sure that they've got that exercise. So that's good. Now, what about a book? Have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners just to complement their training, either a mindset or or a position or both? (laughs) Yeah. Look, there is a, gosh, there's a very old book. That's probably one of my favorite ones. I don't even know if you can still get it. It's called Riding Logic by um, Wilhelm Musler. And I mean, that's a book that I refer to quite a bit in terms of the real fundamentals. You know, he's fantastic with his rider position. He talks about the foundations of training. It's a very classical old book. Another one from a from a mindset perspective is the five love languages. 
That's a book by Gary Chapman. Mm -hmm. And it talks more about the relationship between people and how we communicate with each other and how we can sometimes talk past each other that can create conflict. So it talks about what um, Gary Chapman calls the five love languages and making people aware of which language they speak, but also opening their eyes to the other languages so that they can identify them Mm -hmm. and connect better with people. Probably a good one for for coaches too, you know, just to learn a little bit more and, you know, equine business owners to learn a little bit more about communicating with their students or with their staff. Yeah. Absolutely. There's another book that's that's really just a a light read by Kevin Bacon and it's it's his own story, Mm -hmm. you know, where he started. And the reason I like it is I was quite fortunate to meet Kevin a few times in Europe when I was still, you know, fairly young and mm-hmm. we were sort of at similar competitions together while I was working at Schockemüller's. And mm-hmm. some of the stories that he's talking about in the book, particular with problems in traveling around Europe and getting over the or through the borders where you carry livestock was very funny because I've had an experience with him where he was utterly stuck mm-hmm on one of the borders. I think he was going to Austria. And, um, yeah, we had a great time sort of trying to get him through there so he didn't win his competition. So that's a really good book. It's a funny read. (laughs) (laughs) Good memories for you, yeah. What are you looking forward to now, Tanya? What have you got on your horizon? Oh, look, we've always got a lot on. Um, (laughs) I mean, I'm on the road a lot. Mm. Um, probably sort of, you know, close to sort of two weeks, sometimes a bit more per month. I guess sort of what I'm looking forward to is doing more of the same that I've been doing. I've got my second book that is just about to be published, which is going to be, you know, something I'm, I'm looking forward to having that finished and also doing more seminars and I'm, I'm planning to do more mindset seminars maybe on a slightly bigger scale and going more into the personal development as well as working with riders, you know, just to connect with people to, I guess, sort of encourage them that if there is something in the back of their mind that they feel that they want to do, but they're not currently doing, and they're a little bit afraid of making that maybe first uncomfortable step and they feel they're pulling back, you know, that's where my passion is, is just helping people to make this first step mm-hmm. because I was lucky enough or fortunate enough that I've had great people in my life that have helped me make this first step when I was pulling back and getting frightened. And I know what it's like, you know, when you push through that and that, you know, the first step is, is never as hard as you think it is at the beginning. So mm-hmm. it, it's always easier and it's it's just, yeah, giving back and putting my kind of little twist on personal development to just make things a little bit easier for other mm-hmm. people. That's Good. kind of what I see, what Good. my future is about. Now, Tanya, we didn't talk about your book either. So if you want to just talk about that for a few minutes. My first book is more of a personal development journey that I experienced myself when I started out, how I overcame my limiting belief, and there's a lot of NLP exercises in it. The second book that is just coming out sort of in the next probably month 
is focusing on the training scale that we've had in Germany, the what we call the dressage training scale. But what I did was develop a rider position training scale and also a mindset training scale. Mm-hmm. So bringing the three training scales together, just again to make people more aware of what it takes to achieve the things they want and that there's a combination of horse training, rider training, and also mindset training. So that's yeah. a new one. And um, yeah, again, it's it's just an extra tool that mm-hmm. I think, you know, if I can help people to translate a few things into an easier language, that, you know, they can make changes, that, yeah. that's a good thing. Good. Now, just in a few sentences, can you summarise your philosophy with horses, with horses, with riding, uh, with training, just into a, a lesson? for the listeners to take away? My philosophy is that horses pretty much do what we ask them to do. It's just sometimes what we ask and what we think we ask may be two different things. Mm. So this is where the rider position and mindset comes in. If we are sitting uneven or crooked or off balance, the horse has to compensate for that. So... If we are then applying an aid, that aid is distorted. And the horse generally takes on the aid that they have learned and the way it has been given. And generally, they do the best they can with the information that they've been given. So to me, from a rider position point, my philosophy is that if we can learn to sit in balance and independent from the horse means we're not interfering with the horse we're purely influencing the horse then we get a much better partnership and our success will also improve Mm, mm. from a mindset perspective it's you know the way we speak to ourselves is creating our reality you know our internal language the way we see ourselves is translated into our action, how we speak to others, the choices that we make, and therefore has a has an influence on the, the outcome that we are getting. So from a mindset perspective, my philosophy is that we need to get to know ourselves better by reflecting really truly who we are and being honest to ourselves. And then starting to make better choices, even if sometimes those choices are a little bit scary, it's definitely, it's, it's worthwhile. It's, yes. It's so important. Yep. And we can get there. You know, that yep. if we have a drive and a passion, we absolutely can get there. Mm. But we mm. have to believe that we can first. I think you've taken the passion that you first had with horses into a, a passion for teaching people and helping people because, you know, the way you're speaking, it is certainly full of passion. Yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate that I'm able to do what I love doing. So, mm. you know, I'm very grateful for that. How can people contact you, Tanya? They can contact me through my website, which mm-hmm. is www.tanyamitten.com. Tanya with a J, Mitten, M-I-T-T-O-N. Or on email, which is tanya at tanyamitten.com. Cool. Facebook is also a good one. Okay. And also those details will be on horsechats.com 
slash Tanya with J Mitten or else go to horsechats.com and search for either Tanya with a J or search for Mitten and you'll see uh, you'll see Tanya's details. Okay, Tanya, thanks very much for talking to us today. We've sort of talked about quite a few different things, but I think that what's come through is your passion and your belief in um, you know, your teaching and you've um, really helping people with their mindset. I think that's probably the main thing that's come through, you know, rider position as well. I think the exercise you gave was great, but I think the whole mindset's really come through that you're passionate about that. So thank you very much for talking to us today and hopefully we'll catch up again with you sometime soon. Uh, thank you so much. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.